Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com, Valvoline, and Goodyear. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Welcome, everyone, to our MotorWeek podcast number seven. And I'm joined here today with our senior writer and reporter, Dave Durso. Hey, everybody. Our road test producer, Brian Robinson. Oh. And our assistant producer, and no relation to me, Ben Davis. Oh, thank you. And I think we had a theme for this podcast. It would be affordable performance. And I guess affordable is a relative term. But with that, Dave, I'm going to turn to you. The 2009 Mitsubishi Lancer Rally Art. I mean, exactly where does this car fit? Well, this car fits between the uh, standard Lancer GTS and the uh, Evolution 10, which is their top performance model. And it's given people uh, a higher shot at performance in the GTS, but you're not going all out with the Evolution. You're not going all out on the price with the Evolution. So it's, it's, sort, of a, it's sort of that middle ground. It's that compromise. Plenty of, uh, plenty of performance, plenty of fun, but you're not stretching the budget quite as much because some people just can't get to that Evolution um, on with their current uh, budget. Now, the last Lancer Rally Art, and Mitsubishi's been using their Rally Art, which is their rally uh, road rally uh, team uh, expertise, to do an, an in-between vehicle like this. But the last one really was pretty much a poser. It was, it was, it was a little show. There this wasn't was a lot of go hardware added yeah. to it. This one definitely gets is a lot punchier. It's definitely, I mean, it's got, they did, um, they've got a big uh, boost in horsepower. I mean, it's making uh, 237 horses. Now, it does so with a simpler design than the um, Evolution. It does a single-scroll turbocharger. It's not quite as sophisticated, but um, it's, um, it's a big jump over. It's 69 horsepower more than you get out of the GTS. So it's pretty much right in the middle of the range. It's yeah. right where it should be. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and it, it, it gets along really well. I mean, it, uh, it'll run a, um, 0 to 60 in 5.5 seconds. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's definitely pretty quick, and it's actually that's about a half second quicker than the 2008 WRX we drove recently. And it's got uh, also visually they gave it more of the Evo look, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. look as tame as the old Lancer. No, definitely it's a little more adventurous. What did you think of the uh, sequential manual transmission in it? Um, well, Adam, I thought uh, you know it, it. You know, I'll jump in there. I'm I'm not always as crazy about those transmissions, but I thought it was. It was pretty smooth. Now, that's is that the double clutch transmission? Yeah, yeah. yeah and sport the, mode, it was extremely aggressive. Too. Yeah, I drove it at the well. track, yeah. and it took. Uh, I wasn't quite sure. Some of those are pretty tricky to launch, but uh, and I think just took off. It was simple to use. It was nice. It's, it's, it seems to me that we've now come to, we've now gotten these sequentials with the double clutch system where you basically always have the next gear engaged. It's just a matter of an on-off system with clutches to where they should be. They are now actually living up to their potential of being faster than manuals and generally giving you better performance times than manuals, yet also being smooth, not herky-jerky like some of the other ones. This is, it's track-worthy without a doubt. No joke. Pretty impressive car for that sport compact fan, and it's aimed, as you mentioned, Dave, uh, at the uh, Subaru WRX. And there's actually a a reworked WRX for 2009. And Brian, so let's uh, segue into that with you. What that car was new a year ago. So what happened? Yeah, well, when they redid it in '08, they kind of cranked up the lameness factor. Lameness it, factor, and uh, tried to make it more appealing. And obviously, the import tuner guys weren't too happy with that, but. There was a huge gap then between the WRX and the STI, uh, you know, which was STI was even better than it was before. So basically they uh, created a new model. Last year's uh, 
WRX is now the 2.5 GT, mm-hmm. and then um, increase the WRX uh, about 40 horsepower. Um, put some STI suspension bits in there, and uh, brought it a lot closer to the STI. Much sharper handling car. Uh, doesn't ride quite as well, but that was the problem. I remember our, our road test of the 08 WRX. We we sort of made excuses for it. You know, it's like, hey, it's a broader appeal, blah blah blah. We almost sounded like Subaru marketing, but the fact is, you just didn't. The, the car didn't do anything for you. Yeah, it lost a lot of personality, and I'm not sure that it, it attracted that many more buyers, but uh, maybe it did. I don't know. Well, I don't think it did, or they wouldn't have basically done a crash program to correct it in a, in a year. Any other comments? I mean, you've now driven both like the Rally Art and the um, WRX back to back. You got a pick, favorite pick? <laughs> um, I've always steered more towards WRX myself. I, I must note that the shifter is much better than uh, last year's WRX, too. They must yeah. have... Uh, if if I were Sprinkled going some magic on that one, strictly for a track day car, I think I would go with the uh, Lancer Rally Art. But mm-hmm. as far as everyday driver, uh, the WRX to me is is much nicer for everyday driver. That's kind of the way we've always been. Whenever we've uh, compared even the Evos to the STIs, we've come down on the favor of the the Lancers when it came to pure performance. But the Subarus, if you had to live with it every day, so that really doesn't seem to have changed. Yeah, the WRX. I mean, it feels soft when you just drive it. You know, at normal. Mm-hmm. everyday speeds but when you get on a track and, and crank it up man it, it really handles well i still can't get over the the five door i'm i just don't i think it's a i hate to use the word ugly but that's pretty much how <laughs> i feel about right. it uh, i like the five door myself it's, they're, it's they're trying to push it too. you yeah. know people obviously prefer the sedan most yeah. people and they're, they're trying to get the five door because that's what the rally car is based on mm-hmm. and they, they want to kind of push that heritage yeah well looks are in the eye of the beholder a car that I think none of us can argue too much on looks uh, is uh, going to be over to Ben. Now, last podcast that we did before this, we talked about the 2009 Ford Mustang glass roof. But now we're talking about the the new 2010 Ford Mustang, and this is not just uh, a mild makeover, is it? No, the only thing that carries over is the roof, actually. So you can still get the glass roof in this new one. The roof is the only panel that's the same as the 09. Which was your first impression when you saw it compared, comparing 10 to 9 as far as the look? Sheer beauty. I was, just in pictures, I was anxious to see it in real life. And I was figured I was going to get disappointed in some aspect, whether it be it wasn't going to live up to its pictures or the interior wasn't going to live up to its pictures. But it was, uh, I, I had the shakes when I first saw it. It was unbelievably Whoa. beautiful. Yeah, um, it looks like it's the lines are sharper, a little more raked. Uh, the front end, the headlights are still around, but they're smaller. It's got that mature, aggressive look that, um, that I probably haven't seen or felt the same way about since the, uh, the M3, last, uh, the current M3. Hmm. Um, it's funny that I mentioned M3, too, because there, there are some new colors for, for uh, the 10 year, and one of them is a grabber blue, and it looks very much like Laguna Seca blue hmm. on the M3s. Stunning color, and there's also a, a candy red that actually has a tinted uh, um, clear coat to it. It's a, almost a true candy. Stunning cars. Everything is, uh, every aspect has just been taken to the level it needed to be taken to. There's there's nothing that disappoints at all. Now, you're too young to remember when sequential taillights first came about, but I'm not. And it's got sequential taillights. <laughs> so tell people what that really it means. It means the when you turn the turn signal on, um, the, uh, the taillights broken down into uh, three separate lights. 
um, much like the older Mustangs. And the, the turn signal starts on the inboard light and uh, works its way out to the outboard light. Point in what direction you're going to yeah. turn. <laughs> Those systems on uh, old Cougars and, and Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds yeah. they were all mechanical. I mean, they had these motors and uh, we, my, my Cheryl, my spouse, had a, a Cougar, and they were always failing, and you were in there messing with them. And now it's all electronics, obviously. But that's kind of a little retro bit that I didn't think would ever come back, I have mm-hmm. to say. It's good to see that they moved the uh, the antennas no longer on the front fender. Mm-hmm. That's been a pet peeve of mine. It always looks so cheap up there, and it was never really the best uh, best quality antenna on the front fender. But now it's on the back. It just makes the whole front end look that much tougher. Um, the uh, power dome hood, too. Is a crowd pleaser, and the, the headlights are. There's no mistaking that they're um, inspired by the 1970 Mustang. Hmm. How the uh, the turn signals are integrated into the headlights. It, it was extremely well done. It's exactly how I would have done it if I had any kind of creativity at all. And interior. <laughs> well, you do. <laughs> you do have lots of creativity. Lines. Creativity and uh, design power, then. Money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. Interior. That was a place they really needed some work. Yeah, um, it's. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's. I mean, it was good for what it was, but uh, but now it's it's a bench setter. Fit and finish much improvement. You don't see the big gaps. Yeah, it's night and day difference. Materials. It's, it's exactly what needed to happen. Yeah. And, uh, the only thing I'm I look at it. I, I look at the pictures because I haven't seen it in person, and I do think that while it still has that twin cockpit design, that maybe it looks a little flatter now. I think it lost a little character, but. Uh, Nostalgia just drips in from everywhere. Once you get really? in it, and uh, yeah, it's 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 no one in particular piece that makes it great. It's all of them working in, in a symphony that it's it just transforms you to a, a better time. Anything you didn't like Cardinal. about it? Let me see. Um, I mean, I didn't like the fact that uh, they didn't give me one for free. No, oh! <laughs> I guess that's what you call high praise. <laughs> it runs on uh, the uh, the cool thing is the V8, even though it's uh, it's 315 horsepower now. And granted, there might be some uh, some competition coming out with a little more horsepower in the V8, like model. Camaro. <laughs> yeah, it, but it does, however, run on regular fuel, right? Which is pretty yeah. Cool. The Camaro is going to be like 400 horsepower, but it will take premium. Mm. Okay, before we leave you on this podcast, though, I want to go back to Dave Durso. Dave, it's kind of a bittersweet uh, situation for us. Uh, I know you're uh, pleased to be uh, taking on some new responsibilities, but you're leaving us as head writer after, what, 22 years on Motor 22 Week? years, yeah. Gosh, that's a lifetime. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be pretty strange out there in the real world. Uh, you know, I, on behalf of all of us, uh, you've, you're leaving a very empty office, and we really were, are going to miss you. Thank you. But I got to put you on the spot. All right. You know, give me in that 22 years, the one or two vehicles that just lit you up the most that you, you know, if you could go back and and lay down the your lottery winnings, what would you buy? Well, I probably my choice uh, would be a pretty obscure vehicle. And, uh, you know. Can't remember exact year. Probably about ten years ago mm-hmm. or so, Subaru released a very limited production car called the 22B. Mm. It was a homologation car for their rally program, and they, it was Japan, Japan only. Mm-hmm. Uh, right-hand drive car. They only released a few hundred of them, and we were lucky enough to get it here. That's right, we did. And that was an amazing car. That was one of those cars that you you drive it and you really get to put the pedal down and you just go, oh my god. <laughs> That was the car that was the inspiration for the STI. It really sticks in your head. Yeah, but um, it was a wilder car. It was much closer to a pure race car than anything I've probably almost ever driven. Mm. That thing was just 
incredible amount of fun. And the neat thing was we had, they made, I think there were 400 of them or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, each one num- was numbered and all that. And we had the secret 401st one. That apparently uh, that, that, didn't didn't show up anywhere that, that no one knew about. Though apparently when Subaru was finished with it, they shipped this was this was a well used car when yeah. it was done. U.S. press were done with it. They shipped it back to Japan. It was there was somebody waiting to buy it. They oh, were I bet refurbish so. it. Somebody still wanted it, even beat as as beat as it was. Yeah. What a what a great pick uh, as kind of like uh, you know the one car in all your career here at Motor Week that you basically still have uh, obviously some uh, lust after. That's I'm never cool. going to forget that one. But but what about bikes? I mean, you are our resident motorcycle expert. So if you had uh, any bike over those years that you've Boy. tested, you have tested a lot of them. I, I've ridden quite a few. There there have been some fun bikes. Um, out of those, I have to say. Probably the Ducati 916. Mm-hmm. That was a groundbreaking bike in uh, for sport bikes, for European bikes, and it was just an amazing machine. It was just the power delivery, the handling, absolutely knife edge handling. I mean, it was one of those bikes that you have to think carefully about how you're riding it because it's going to do exactly what you tell it to do. It was a tremendous amount of fun. A little intimidating at that time when I was uh, when I first rode it, but it was uh, it was an amazing experience. It was incredibly cool bike, and you know wouldn't mind having one even now. Well, you know you'll have to get one as your daily commuter. There you go. I don't think my back's up to that. <laughs> well, thanks, Dave. We're certainly going to miss you here at Motor Week, and I want to thank also today Brian Robinson for being with us and Ben Davis. Thanks, guys. And I hope you'll join us for our next Motor Week podcast. I want to thank the folks that make this possible, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, for making sure we come through loud and clear, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and, of course, our producer, Michelle Parker, who lays everything out and makes sure we show up on time and and makes excellent cookies today. Uh, I hope you'll also be sure to catch Motor Week on your local public television station and on Speed TV and visit our website uh, for all the latest automotive information. Till next time, I'm John Davis for Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Cars.com, Valvoline, and Goodyear. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.